0: Good morning, Cornerstone. That was a little better than what you gave Chris, but we can do better than that. Good morning, Cornerstone. Thank you. All right. I'm Pastor Bill. And if you're new around here, you haven't seen me much for the last three weeks because I've been up in children's ministry with a transition that's going on there. And um, thank you, Chris, for the first time doing announcements. And um, you're going to actually hear Chris preach um, in about a month, right? A little more than that? Three weeks. Three weeks. So, um, so thanks, Chris. And it's my job to introduce to you a different Chris for our guest speaker this morning. We finished our, our church shopping series um, last week, and, and we're moving into a new series of talks that I want to briefly introduce to you. Um, we spent about 18 months here at Cornerstone trying to figure out with with um, prayer and with some workshops and surveys and tons of discussions, we spent about 18 months, a year and a half ago, trying to figure out what does God want us uniquely to do and be at Cornerstone. And I know Pastor Hojan put this slide up last week or, or shared this with you. I wanted to share it with you again so that we can remember, this is the vision that we feel God has given us in this church in this time. Cornerstone Church of Boston, go back, equips one another for a transforming life with Jesus, invests in a loving Christian or a loving community, and seeks compassionate justice in the world. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, but when you play that out, it means that all of us are going to be devoted to our own spiritual formation. But not just that, we're not just devoted to our own becoming like Christ, we actually are devoted to equipping one another to have that kind of walk. With Jesus. And then we're going to do something about some life-transforming community where we're going to invest in one another in ways that changes us. And, and community changes us for better or for worse. And we're committed to, to have a community where we become better in the world. And then thirdly, we don't want to just talk about justice in the world. We actually want to do something about it. So that's our, our vision or our mission. Now look at our, our um, vision. We envision Cornerstone to be a church without walls, boldly following Jesus even beyond our comfort zones, sharing our lives together while breaking down barriers, inviting others, other people in to encounter the love of Jesus, and serving the marginalized in our society. Now, when you think about that mission and vision, what kind of people can lean into that kind of mission and vision? And our our answer to that is only whole life disciples are going to be able to live that out and make a difference in the world, which introduces our next series um, for this fall. We want to talk over the next three weeks about whole life discipleship so that we can live into that vision that God has given to us. And our guest speaker this morning is Chris Lake. Um, Chris served for 10 years in the Navy as a naval flight officer on aircraft carriers, He's worked for IBM, as the found, and he was the founder of an educational consulting company here in Boston. Engineering degree from Northwestern University, Master's in Technological Entrepreneurship from Northeastern University, and a Master's, I want to see who cheers for this one, a Master's in Management from the London Business School. Anybody? Yeah, not much for the British. <laughs> the Anglophiles have all left us. All right. Um, He's currently the head, the the founder and director of the Vare Institute, and here's what the website says. Vare Institute exists to envision, equip, encourage, and empower Christians to see their lives as meaningful and live as fruitful, whole-life disciples on their daily front lines in the world where they find themselves. And that's why we've invited Chris to be with us. So Chris, come now and share what you have from the Lord.
1: Well, it's great to be with you all this morning, and thank you so much for the warm welcome. I love that you love people named Chris here. You can't get enough of that, apparently, so really appreciate that. Um, When Bill actually invited me to uh, speak with you today, uh, I think he paid you all an enormous compliment that I should pass along, and he told me that you will never enjoy preaching as much as you preach here. So that's no pressure on all of you, but I thought you should all know how much Bill appreciates preaching with all of you. Well, as we get started, I thought I'd share a little bit about my background. I know that uh, Bill gave some of the highlights uh, there. As he said, I um, spent some time in the military, in the Navy, um, in my professional career in an IBM. But going back to the beginning, I actually grew up out west in uh, Colorado. And growing up, I had this tendency to watch this particular movie like way too many times. Has anyone seen Top Gun? Yeah. All right. So you know what I'm talking about, right? This gave me a vision for my life. I thought, wow, that would be amazing. I could just fly around. I'd play beach volleyball all day, and everyone would love me, and it'd be amazing. And then i get to save the world at the end of the day, right? Wouldn't that be so cool? So most people kind of realized that was a fantasy before they got to college, but not me. I said, that can actually happen. So I joined the Navy, as Bill mentioned. Um, so I spent ten years of my career there, but along along the way, I had to have this little pesky thing to get to before I actually started with the Navy, and that's what they call college. So anyone who's in college now, or you know, maybe uh, has been to college, you know what that experience is like. Well, my freshman year, actually, something completely unexpected happened to me. These people knocked on my door, and they said they wanted to share a little presentation for ten minutes. They called it the Bridge if anyone's familiar with the bridge, and it never lasts just 10 minutes, first of all. But, um, you know, they invited me into a conversation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And over a period of several months, I I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that was just completely out of the blue because I didn't expect that. Jesus found me when I wasn't even looking for him. And what appealed to me, I think, about the gospel more than anything was this totally free gift. All my life I've been striving, trying to earn my way, trying to earn salvation in a sense. And suddenly I found out it was all a free gift. And so much joy um, came with that. And I started growing in my knowledge with God, learning about the Bible, learning how to pray uh, in, in Christ. And as you imagine, my priorities got completely upended. When you come to Christ, your priorities are completely changed. Now, the really important things were going to church and um, being part of fellowship groups and evangelizing folks and, and leading Bible studies, even. Unfortunately, I had a little problem. There was this unintended side effect that happened. I, 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 said, I said some things are really important, but on this, at the same time, I said there's other things that aren't that important, like my studies, like going to class, especially the ones of my major. I really did not like them. I was engineering. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. I thought, why does this even matter? Like, what's the point of all this? Like, I am going to heaven. I have got everything sorted out. There's no eternal significance to calculus, okay? (laughs) So I just kind of, like, skated by, doing the minimum. When the test came around, I would ask my non-Christian friends to, like, give me a crash course so I could at least pass. That was real strong evangelism. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, the sad thing is I almost failed out. I'm not kidding. When I got to this stage, I wasn't sure they were going to call my name. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, D stands for diploma. That was true in my case. I got the diploma but by the skin of my teeth, by the grace of God. Well, as I look back on that time, you know what was kind of sad for me as I think about it? For all the Bible studies I was a part of and the Bible studies I was actually leading, not once do I recall thinking, you know what, my approach to my studies and my schoolwork had anything to do with my faith. No one really even said anything in my my Christian circles at at that time. It was like I had this kind of sacred life. I was living two lives, really. A sacred life that was what really mattered. All the stuff that was around my new faith. And then there was this secular life, which I knew I kind of had to have because I needed to eat. But it didn't really matter that much to God. So what was wrong? What had I missed? Well, what I learned and It took me many, many years to realize this. I was suffering from a condition that plagues pretty much every Christian I know. It's called the sacred-secular divide. It's the belief that some things, but not all things, really matter to God. You see, I had this disease. I didn't even realize it. I grouped some things into the sacred camp, like study, like uh, Bible study and church services and evangelism and then there was a secular camp studying, working, playing tennis whatever, hanging out with friends so I just tried to maximize the sacred things and then I just minimize the secular things now please don't mishear me I'm not saying that the Bible study the evangelism, all that stuff was essential good stuff it's just I didn't understand that all the rest of it mattered to God too All right, you might be saying, you know, what's the big deal? You know, that's not that big of a problem, is it? Um, Well, first of all, it is a really big deal. First of all, because it's not true. It's not biblical. God does care about every single little detail. He says even the very hairs of our head are numbered. In my case, their days were numbered too. (laughs) But that's a problem money you don't have. Let's talk about what the impact of this false belief might be. Here's some statistics taken from a study of American Christians 60% of Christians have no clarity about their calling, 70% are unsure how their work serves God, 78% think their work is less important than that of a pastor. That's the real-world impact of the sacred-secular divide. So just imagine. Imagine the church was like a company. Can you imagine if 60% of the people didn't really even know why they were there? They were just here for this wonderful retirement plan they heard about. What if 70% had no idea how their role contributed to the overall mission? Do you think that company would be in business very long? I don't think so. Unfortunately, that's the situation we find ourselves in the church today. So fortunately, there is some good news to this. I want to talk to you today about a holistic, what I believe more biblical perspective on your everyday life. One that takes seriously the fact that Jesus is Lord of everything. He's not just the Lord of Sunday mornings. He's the Lord of every single day of the week. Because I'm convinced that the gospel changes everything. This is what we call whole life discipleship. Living for Christ no matter where you go, no matter what you do. So that brings us to today's passage, which is taken from Psalm 1, and I'll read it here. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, we've been all watching and hearing about the horrible devastation that have been caused by the recent hurricanes of uh, Harvey and Irma and Jose and now Maria. And all this story and all this coverage, one story you may not have heard about was the story of a tree just located outside of Houston. Now, this is not just any tree. This is like a thousand-year-old tree. It's an oak tree, and they have a very clever name they gave it. It's called the big tree. That's a picture of the big tree. Well, Hurricane Harvey took his aim at this tree, along with a lot of others. But like 40 hurricanes before it, this tree, Harvey, was going to be no match. Tons of trees were destroyed, unfortunately. But the big tree came through the storm without a problem. Well, that doesn't mean there haven't been issues in the past for this big tree. In fact, there was a recent scare about six years ago. Because in the Houston area, there was a drought that nearly brought down this tree. Some people thought that maybe the big tree had met its match. Fortunately, the local fire department got on the scene. And they doused the big tree with like 11,000 gallons of water. So six years later, Harvey was able to stand through the storm. So when I think about Psalm 1 and this image of a tree, that's what I think about, this big tree. Wouldn't you like to be like that? When the hurricane Harvey's of your life hit, you not only survive, but you go on to thrive? Imagine the stories that they would write about you. People want to look at your life and say, you know, how did they make it through that hurricane? They must have some really strong roots. Well, you're wondering, what's the secret? How do, how do we be like this tree? It's right there in Psalm 1 it's planted by streams of water, that's its competitive advantage. It doesn't need a fire department to hose it down every few years. It has a stream of water. And that is the delight in the word of the Lord. So like that tree, we are to delight in the word of God. Imagine, that would make a difference. Imagine the difference that would make in our lives if we truly loved, delighted in the word of God. We delighted in studying it personally. We delighted in studying it when we're together. We, decided, we delighted in doing it throughout our life. We meditated on it day and night. And maybe you get this image of meditating. We're kind of sitting on a little hill thinking about the Bible. No, we are active people. We have lives to live. We're trying to figure out how does this word interact with my daily experience? How can we live it out day by day through our whole life? Well, what cultivates this delight? First of all, we we remember what it does for us. We remind ourselves of the blessings of the word of God. It's amazing. It helps us not only stand who God is, it helps us actually to know Him personally. Helps us to understand the mysteries of life, the deep things that we all wonder about as human beings. Helps us make sense of the brokenness that we see in our world and helps guide us to make life giving choices. And it helps us to know how to be a blessing with others, for others. And finally, it just gives us hope. We know our destiny. We know where we are headed, a secure eternity with Jesus. So my question for you and for me, do we really delight in his word? If not, let's pray and ask him that we would, that we'd truly delight in it, like that tree delights in that water. I think it'll make a massive difference in our lives. Well, another thing about this tree, it's a fruitful one, right? Did you notice that? It yields its fruit in season. As we know, the idea of fruitfulness is a theme that runs throughout the scripture. We have it right there in chapter one where God commands them, be fruitful and multiply. And if you flip all the way to the back of the Bible, you'll see it in Revelation 2 when you read about the fruitful trees on the banks of the river of the water of life. Jesus spent some time talking about fruitfulness and when he said in John 15, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So there's a linkage here between our fruitfulness and people recognizing that we belong to him, that we're his disciples. So then that begs the question, what does fruitfulness actually look like in real life? Well, before we jump into that question, I want to take a step back and talk about something that's fundamental to this discussion. And that is the nature of the church. So there are 100 dots on this slide, and you can feel free to count them if you want, or you can just take my word for it. But it it represents the population of Massachusetts. And you can see that there are nine blue dots in the lower right-hand corner there. That represents a number of evangelicals who are in the state. So I'm not sure how you might feel about this, this slide when you see that. Sometimes when I show slides like this, people will feel kind of like discouraged. Like, wow, we're just kind of like up in the corner. We're kind of marginalized. You can see some people are kind of interacting with the world, and the rest of us are kind of like right there behind you, right? And you feel like we're not making much of a difference. But what happens when I show you this slide? Same number of blue dots, same number of white dots. But suddenly it's a different picture, right? This is the scattered church. This is where we are throughout the week. We're in coffee shops, we're in laboratories, we're in, in classrooms, we're in cubicles. We're interacting with people who may not yet know, Christ, know Jesus, but we want to help them uh, find true life in Christ. Well, where does, that, where does that happen? This is what we call the front line, where the gathered and scattered church mix. This is where we engage with people who may not know God, um, but want to know, well, we want them to, to find that, that truth. The the truth is the vast majority of our lives is actually spent on the front line. So for any of you math majors out there, we'll do a very simple math. That's one class I did go to. All right, 168 hours in a week. Um, Let's say you sleep for 48 of those. That leaves you with 120 hours in a week. Most Christians can probably spend no more than 10 hours in gathered church activities. Things like this. It may be a small group, perhaps doing some uh, social action or uh, evangelism. That leaves 110 hours when we are the scattered church. That's where we spend our time on the front lines. It's our primary context for discipleship. It's where we grow as believers. It's our primary context for mission. It's where we seek to live as disciples of Christ. So what is a disciple? This is a definition that comes from Neil Hudson. He's a pastor out of the UK, works for the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And I love how he put it. A disciple is someone learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. Someone learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. See, discipleship isn't about taking a course and then you're done and you're finished, you're a completed disciple. No, it's an ongoing process. It's something that changes as our context changes. So when you start school for the first time, you're learning what it means to be a disciple in that context. When you get a new job, you're learning what it means to be a disciple there. When you have your first kid, when you lose your first job, or diagnosed with a serious illness, we have to continually be learning because the context is always learning, always changing. It's not natural for us. It's a learning process. That's why we gather weekly to to remind ourselves what it means and to equip one another, as your your mission says, to equip one another to live this out. Now, sometimes when I talk about this kind of stuff, uh, people assume I'm talking specifically having evangelistic or spiritual conversations. And that's definitely part of it, for sure. But that's not all I'm talking about when I'm talking about being fruitful for Christ. Just like giving birth to a baby isn't all there is to parenting, there's much more to it. So I thought I'd um, talk about a framework today, uh, what it means to be fruitful on our front lines. It's more of a holistic approach, and it comes again out of that same group, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, a book written by Mark Green, which describes the 6M framework. So we're going to go through uh, the six M's. I won't go too in depth on this, just kind of hit the surface so you have an idea and a flavor for what I'm talking about. Now, this isn't some new holy to-do list that we can all feel, oh, here's six other things I feel like I'm failing at. Actually, no, this is meant to encourage us because I think you'll see that you're doing a lot of these things already. So the first M is making good work. Now I understand next week you're actually going to have a sermon on, on this topic, so I won't go too in depth here. But I will point out that the Bible has tons of to say about our work. I'm not, I'm not sure how I missed all those verses in those Bible studies I was leading in college. But here's a verse that you can hold on to. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now that's, that's a pretty big word, right? Whatever. Anything that falls within God's moral boundary will fit the description. So it, it goes to our heart. If we're serving as if we're serving the Lord, he's pleased with that. The second M is modeling godly character. And this comes from that verse in Galatians 5 that many are probably aware of, five twenty two and 23, about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And those things can sound kind of churchy, Right? You know, when when I was in the Navy, I don't remember ever my commanding officer at my annual performance review. I don't remember him ever saying, "You know what, Chris? You did awesome with your gentleness this year. I mean, you were the like perfect at gentleness, and your joy was amazing. You had so much joy, like you passed all your peers." Now, the the world doesn't care about my joy or gentleness in terms of um, what it's trying to achieve, but for God, it matters immensely. Because it shows the world a glimpse of a different kingdom, a different place. If you have joy when everyone else is miserable, think of the impression that that makes. So the the third M is ministering grace and love. Well, What does that mean? What does that look like in practice? I I thought I'd share a story about a friend of mine named Ruth. Maybe give you a picture of what this looks like. Ruth, uh, she works for the city of Cambridge in a human resources role. And it's actually a pretty tough job. Her job is to pick the people who keep the city clean. So these roles aren't always that glamorous. And so that's her job to, to figure out you know, who, can, who can serve in these capacities. Well, in order to really understand what it's like to work in these jobs, Ruth decided that uh, she was, one day she was going to shadow uh, the cleaners that she had hired. Now, it's not her job description to, to shadow the people that she's hired, but she wanted to know what it was really like up close and personal. Well, when she did that she gained some really useful insights for example she was really surprised to learn that they all took their lunch break in this crammed dingy stock room it she was she was kind of distressed by it and asked them why are you meeting here for your lunch well they explained they, they really had nowhere else to go they said it's their job to be invisible and no one had really thought about providing them a place to eat well, as a follower of Jesus, Ruth, she didn't find that acceptable. So she became their advocate. She was able to get funds released so that they could have a place where they could eat their lunch in dignity. You know, that, some of it might say, well, that, that's not that big a deal. That's, that's kind of a small thing, right? Doesn't it seem that Jesus is always taking notice of the small things? We read in Matthew 25, he notices the simple Glass of water that we may give a brother or sister in need. He takes care of that little thing again because it gives a glimpse of a different kingdom. The fourth M is molding culture. Does uh, anyone remember those snowstorms? Who was here in the uh, winter of 2015 when we were like deluge? Yeah, all right, with like all that snow, right? Well, most of us, I think, were not too happy campers. But my friend Steve. Took a different approach. And uh, instead of this as an opportunity just to complain about all the snow, like probably the rest of us did, he decided to build a massive snow house in his front yard. So, you may have, some of you may have seen this in the Boston Globe. It had six foot ceilings, um, windows, and enough room for a dozen people. All right, he even went out decked it out with Christmas lights. You can see in the corner, there's a dog in there, okay? I don't know if the dog is going in there. Hopefully, it's outside. Um, but Steve had this slogan. He says, if life gives you snow, you make a snow house. Now, that's literally molding culture. Now, it's, it's not about this massive igloo that he made. As a follower of Jesus, he's trying to change the culture on his block, to build relationships, give an opportunity for people to be invited into his life. Now, the fifth M is being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. That means not just speaking up when your own interests are violated, but speaking up for others, particularly those who can't speak for themselves. And finally, there's the sixth M, being a messenger of the gospel. Now, uh, I would like to share with you, there's lots of things we could say about this, but I'd like to share a simple approach to uh, evangelism that you might not have considered, and it's called the four tables, and you can see them depicted here. In the upper left-hand corner, you'll see the work table, and that just represents the place that occupies most of your time, your front line. Do great work. Do it with excellence and integrity, with joy, with all your heart, and, and, and do it in a way that, invites people to take a look at your life the upper right hand corner is we would call the coffee table so as you feel the spirit lead you you invite someone in your sphere of influence perhaps to coffee or lunch at that point it's not a chance to just kind of ram the gospel down their throat when they didn't even ask for it no it's for actually first of all just to listen to their story to build relationships get to know them hear what they have to say let them get to know you over time, I think as the, as the hurricanes of life hit, whether they hit your life and they, they're surprised at how, you, how you're able to weather the storm, or maybe a hurricane it hits their life and they're questioning the foundations that they've built on. They're seeing that they don't have the roots to survive, but they see something different in you. That's where you have an opportunity to share the gospel. And that leads us to the fourth table, the Lord's table, which we'll share today. We want them to eventually come to know and have a personal relationship with Christ So that's an idea for for you to maybe think about how you might um, invite people into your life and to invite them into a relationship with Christ. Well, as we wrap up, I hope that you've found this encouraging and I hope you'll consider to take a look at your life, perhaps with the new lenses, that you would just delight in the word of the the Lord, that you would drink it up like that big tree uh, drank that water. Be ready to withstand the hurricanes of your life. And I pray that you would really embrace your front line and see it's a place you can be fruitful for God no matter where you go or matter what you do. Would you mind if I prayed for, for you? Father, we do thank you for each and everyone here. We thank you they are part of your grand plan. They each have a role to play in advancing your kingdom throughout this city. Father, help them delight in your word, to meditate on it day and night as they seek to live according to it. Empower them by your spirit to to bear fruit on whatever front line you've given them, in the laboratories, in the dorms, on the shop floor, coffee shops, the cubicles, wherever you've put them. And in everything they do, may they bring glory to your great name. Amen.